a Pearson Harnish, but a huge third down conversion. You got the game on? Yep. On the move, down to the 24-yard line of St. Francis. Who's winning? He, he won't say the score. Laid up and waited for the pass. Short drop Come out on, of the gun. who's winning? Rifles towards the right corner, complete to Vander Cooey, who steps across the plane. Ah, say the damn score. You're listening to the original Say the Damn Score podcast, part of the Say the Damn Score podcast network. Here's your host, Logan Anderson. Welcome back, everybody, to the Say the Damn Score podcast. We've had a lot of big names on this show, but I also like to talk to talented broadcasters who are still on their way up and experiencing a lot of the um, triumphs and frustrations that a lot of us are on a day-to-day basis. And right now we are joined by a friend of mine, James Westling from Salina, Kansas. He is the voice of the Bethany Swedes and the operations manager at Rocking M Radio in Salina and and all over Kansas for that matter. And James, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Logan. Excited to be on with you. And let's just start off where we start off with most people. What At what point in your life did you know that you wanted to go into sportscasting? Well, for me, I don't think it was as early on as it is for most people. Um, I played sports growing up, and I loved watching sports and being a part of sports. And I knew at a very, very young age that I maybe looked at sports a little bit differently than other people. I've always been a big numbers guy and a big stats guy. And I can remember at a very, very young age uh, taking a pen and a a notepad and almost creating not necessarily imaginary leagues, but I would take current rosters and current schedules and play them out in the future. And I remember – Athlon Magazine, when they were first getting started, they had in the back of their college basketball preview, because every year I would just love to read their college basketball preview from start to finish. And at the back of their magazine, they had like the top one, the, the, the top 300 recruits for the next four classes of, of high school basketball players. And so I would create this imaginary future Uh, college basketball landscape using those recruiting rankings and almost create my own magazine with rosters and statistics and schedules. And then I I would do, although I didn't realize it at the time, I was really doing play-by-play in my head of highlights of these teams and, and certain games. And I can remember uh, sitting at my parents' table and just spending hours upon hours upon hours doing this. And then I can remember um, I, I was a bit of an artist. I liked to draw. And I would draw these these imaginary basketball arenas and football stadiums, almost a blueprint for them. They were extremely detailed. I would not be able to do it today. And so when I attended Kansas State after high school, Um, I took an architecture class at K-State because I thought, well, you know, I like to draw. I like to design uh, basketball arenas and football stadiums and and, and ballparks and things like that. And I quickly realized that that I was way in over my head. I was not very um, detail oriented when it came to to classwork and, and book smarts. And 
when I was in college at, at K-State, a, a friend invited me to an open meeting for KSDB, K-State Student Radio. I knew nothing about it, never thought it was anything that I would ever be into, uh, but I went and long story short, became part of the uh, sports staff. And they let me do play-by-play on the student radio station for an exhibition basketball game. And it was the mid-2000s, early 2000s, I should say, rather, when Jim Woolridge was still the coach at Kansas State, and they were not very good. And I was sitting courtside doing play-by-play. My buddy was doing color, and they had an engineer there with us to get us all set up and kind of help us out. And it was K-State-Pittsburgh State. State. And K-State ended up winning by 20 or so. But just the thrill of doing play-by-play it just kind of all came together for me. And the next day, I was undecided as a major. And the next day, I went into the School of Journalism and went into um, the advisor that, that, that I had and declared my major as mass communications. And that's how, that's how I got my start. It was a K-State exhibition basketball game that scratched the itch for me. Give us the Cliff Notes version of the path you took from graduating from Kansas State to where you are now in Salina. Well, upon graduation, I was fortunate to be offered a a pretty good job in terms of title. And I got the operations manager position for a very small AM radio station in Garden City, Kansas. I went out there and I interviewed and um, a, a friend of mine also from K-State actually got a sales job out there. So I was the OM and they had a new general manager that was bringing in a, a very young staff and um, kind of got thrown to the wolves in, in a lot of ways. I was hosting a um, morning show on not a sports station, on a news talk station. And so I interviewed a lot of key community figures um, about a lot of topics that I knew nothing about as, a, as an 18, 19-year-old kid. And um, I spent one year out there in Garden City and called games for uh, the local college there and then the high school. And then the general manager for that station group in Garden City got offered a job in Salina and brought me with him. And he was the GM for these Salina stations, which there were only three at the time that he was overseeing. He was only the GM for about nine months. And then he moved back home where he was from uh, out in Oregon. And and I stuck it out and and stuck with it. And the company has just grown over time. That was in 2009. And the company had, I believe, 17 stations at the time. And now we have 41 stations all throughout the state of Kansas and we've moved into, into another building. We've acquired uh, four additional stations here in our Salina market alone. And so it's been really, really fun just to see our, our company grow and then our play-by-play landscape grow in terms of the amount of schools that we cover. Uh, we've got a network now. And so it's, it's, it's pretty neat to be calling games uh, for affiliates and, and know that you're on a variety of stations when you go out and broadcast a, a, a game. So uh, that's been my path, and I've been, I've been in Salina since since 09. So we've talked about a lot of uh, different ways to get into the business on this show before. 
You know, a lot of people do news, a lot of people get an on-air shift, not a lot of people get to jump right into management. I guess, what was the learning curve starting off there and, you know, having people underneath you being in charge to a degree? Uh, what was the the toughest thing to learn quickly at a young age with management? That's a great question. You know, it's almost, I, I was so young that, and, and I had been the sports director for um, our, our radio station at Kansas State, but kind of getting out into the real world, I guess I was a little bit naive and, and didn't quite understand the importance of the position that I had and the pressures that, that may have come with it. Um, and so, you know, we were a smaller staff and so it wasn't like I was overseeing a staff of 15 or 20 people like I do now, but I had a part-time staff and the, the, the number one thing was I knew that, that being so young, I had to earn, and it was a younger, a younger staff. So it's not like these people were 15, 20 years older than I am. But at that time, I still, uh, learned very quickly that, I needed to lead by example and in terms of work ethic and, and responsibilities and being detail oriented and uh, paying attention to the small things. Um, I, I wasn't going to be able to lead vocally as much as I was going to be able to lead by example. And so that was um, that was probably the number one thing that I picked up on on rather quickly. And then uh, when I came to Salina, I was the assistant OM. And so there was somebody else there in the building that had the same position I had in Garden City for a year. And so I was able to kind of see what he did. And to be honest, I, I learned a lot um, under him, not necessarily in terms of things he did the right way, but, but things he did the wrong way, if that makes sense. And so um, just kind of observing some things that he did, some, some positive things and then some mistakes he made and, and making sure that I didn't um, replicate those mistakes was definitely a big learning experience once I got to Salina for that first first year or so. Was it difficult to balance wanting to be a sportscaster because that's where your passion lies and having to, you know, be in charge of operations and be involved in sales? How difficult was it to just kind of manage your time and responsibility in that way? It was very difficult and, and actually it's something that is that is still difficult because I've got more responsibility in terms of a management role and a sales role now than, than I ever have. I oversee our entire programming division. Um, I do sales on a 50-50, basically part-time basis. Um, I'm a sports broadcaster. And so collectively, it's, it's, you've got to master the art of managing your time. And I set out every day to um, have a goal in terms of sales. And then we have various meetings throughout the week um, to discuss programming matters. And so it's, it's a balance and it's a really tricky balance. You know, there's the, the, the number one thing for me that, that I, I, I guess maybe have struggled with a little bit is that I've had to pass up some opportunities that if I was a full-time sports broadcaster, um, I, I think that I, I would have maybe jumped at a little bit more or been a little bit more aggressive um, in terms of going after some other positions, but I enjoy the other aspects of radio 
And I think that in today's day and age, it's it's very rare to find a full-time 110% sports broadcaster. They are few and, and far between. Everybody now who's doing sports is either on the air in another capacity or doing sales in sports or uh, some type of a manager in, in sports or are just a, a sports play-by-play contract employee and they do something uh, completely different in, with a completely different career and, and profession in another field. And so um, I think the, the fact that I wasn't a full-time sports guy right away and have never been, maybe now looking at how the, the, the job market has changed um, and continues to evolve is, is maybe beneficial. I want to go backwards just a little bit, and I, you don't need to say exactly what the opportunities were, but what was the reason that you said uh, there were some opportunities that you passed up on that you otherwise may have went for? Was it the fact that it would have been a big, a big responsibility? Was it a financial cut? What was the, what was the motivation behind not pursuing those opportunities? Sure, um, two pretty straightforward reasons. Uh, number one is um, I have a family, and uh, I'm married with 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 one and with one on the way, and. Um, my my first was being was was due around the time that 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 I was would have started one of the opportunities, and then um, the 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 second reason would be financially one of them was going to be just a huge pay cut that I just wasn't wasn't willing to take, and um, so it's it's pretty straightforward in in, in those two reasons one family and, and two finances you hit the nail on the head. You know, and I, this is something we talked about by the time this is going to be released. Um, it will be public that, you know what, I am going to be taking an enormous pay cut and taking a big risk to move to, uh, we don't know for sure where yet, most likely Denver or Minneapolis. But I guess how difficult is it to, I'm trying to figure out how to say this, to balance future opportunity versus current um, comfort and stability? It's a great question. And it, it's a, a question that I don't know that I have an answer for in terms of what job would be open that I would you know, immediately jump at and what job maybe I would be less interested in. I've talked to my wife about potential opportunities and if, if this one opened or that one opened, um, what would we do or, or, you know, what, what type of scenarios could potentially play out? Um, for me, the thing that, that maybe hampers me a little bit is a lot of sports broadcasters are willing to move to wherever, all, you know, all over the country. And for me, I've, I've tried to kind of say, stay, um, local in terms of, uh, uh, my wife's family is from nearby. My family is from nearby. Um, there's just a lot of different moving parts. And so um, there's only X amount of jobs that are ever going to be open, you know, if you're not willing to move. And so, you know, we've talked about that and sacrifices that might have to be made down the road. If, if we did decide that, that, you know, if there was a position that opened up that I was a strong candidate for that, that would require us to move, we would just kind of have to cross that bridge when we came to it. And the other thing I wanted to follow up on, you mentioned figuring out how to be very good at time management and being productive. 
uh, with your time. Do you have any particular tips or methods uh, that you practice to be especially productive? It's going to sound really simple, but have a detailed planner. <laughs> I don't uh, just have a planner on my on my phone or, or use my uh, calendar on my phone. I have a detailed planner that I have on a cloud that um, is accessible to me at home or at work or on my phone. And um, it, it's, it's, it fills up pretty quick. And then, then I, I have certain things like in terms of, you know, I need to be seen or visiting with a certain amount of clients uh, every single day or every single week. I have a number in mind that I'd like to hit in terms of uh, uh, um, sales every single week and every single month. And then um, just communication with your, with your spouse if you have one. Um, and in terms of your home life and your, and your, your family, you know, that's a big thing as well. We, we sit down, uh, at the start of every week and kind of lay out our week. And, and, uh, you know, my wife is a, a teacher and a tennis coach and, and, uh, um, has a couple other side projects. And so she's just as busy as I am. And so it's just, and I'm sure that you, you can probably relate to that as well. Um, but, uh, that's, that's probably my number one, number one pointer. So one of the things that you've done, and you mentioned this a little bit, and I want to go into more detail, you've been the voice of the Bethany Swedes for a long time, but you also built a KCAC network where you do a conference game of the week, and it goes through on several different affiliate stations throughout the state of Kansas. How did you work that? How did you develop that network? Was it all within stations inside your company? Was it... Uh, with stations, did you just negotiate with other people in specific markets? How did that come about? Well, it came about in with direct communication with the commissioner of the league. Um, I had I had run into him at the at the league softball and baseball tournament, which is held at the same facility, and um, I had asked him about doing play by play for um, their their conference championship game in basketball. Because I had I had read on the release that they were looking to expand and, and have that game on on multiple stations, and he didn't necessarily. I mean, he knew that that we covered a couple of teams in the conference, but I don't think he realized how many stations we had. And once I kind of broke that all down for him, um, I put him in touch with the owner of our company, and the three of us met, and we basically came to uh, an agreement that would allow us to broadcast a, a league of the week for basketball um, and a league game of the week for football and air that on in, in, in each of our markets. We have 41 stations, but they're spread over eight markets. And so we've got an affiliate in each of our markets, which basically covers probably 80% of the state. Um, so we, we went directly to the commissioner and came to an agreement uh, that way. How do you decide who's going to broadcast and and handle all of those extra games while still being the you know the main broadcaster on a regular basis for a team because obviously depending on your location and the location of the game of the week you may or may not be available to do it. Sure. Well, we have we have four full-time employees that have a passion for play-by-play and are also trying to advance their careers. 
And so we sit down before each sports season and kind of break down who's doing what games. And the majority of the time we're, we're covering one specific team, but when it comes to the KCAC network, um, it, it's kind of a rotation since, you know, e- e- each collegiate team that we cover plays 30 regular season basketball games with the KCAC network we're covering one game each Saturday during the conference season, which I think comes down to, to 15 or 16 conference games, um, Saturdays anyway, and then all of the postseason. And so a lot of it depends upon travel, and we just kind of do it that way. You know, if somebody's got a long road trip coming up and there's an opportunity to do a game a little bit closer for the KCAC network, we'll go ahead and let that person do it that way. But to be honest with you, I kind of have my my pick of the whole thing uh, since I was the one that I guess initiated the conversation with the commissioner, and I, I kind of spearhead the whole KCAC network in terms of making sure that our affiliates have everything that they need, um, putting together the schedule with the commissioner in terms of what game we're going to broadcast each week, and um, and so a lot of it depends on on family life and, and travel, and then we just kind of go from there. Do you do a neutral broadcast, or do you – do you take a feed from one that you guys maybe are already doing? Well, we do a we do a, a neutral broadcast unless one of the teams that we cover in-house is part of the featured KCAC game of the week. And then we do uh, do a simulcast. And so that can be a little bit tricky because, you know, you've got to be very neutral during the broadcast, which isn't as difficult, I think, for the play-by-play guy as it is for the color guy. We've had some color guys that, almost seem to forget that they're on the network and then they, that, that, that they need to be neutral and they uh, need to be unbiased. And so we've had to kind of sit down with those guys and, and uh, do some play-by-play and, and color critiques and make sure that, that they're on the same page in terms of staying neutral um, during a broadcast. But, you know, the KCAC is so competitive and there's so much parity in the league that we very rarely have a bad game where it's lopsided. And so it's really easy to stay neutral when you're just in the, the heat of the moment. And it is such a great game and, and teams are going back and forth. You just have a lot of respect and a lot of appreciation for um, the play on the court or on the gridiron. And so that, that kind of takes over for me anyway, whereas, you know, I go back and, and I don't, I don't really, um, you know, I can't tell that I'm, they, that I'm favoring one team over another. You got the opportunity this year to do fill-in at the Division I level for Kansas State. I believe it was women's basketball, right? Correct. And I know that I also had my first chance to be part of a D1 broadcast. It was a men's basketball game in the Summit League. And I know neither one of us were particularly happy with the way it turned out. I've written about it and told my story. What happened in yours? Well, it's it's funny you say that. I actually, you know, when I when I did the broadcast and it was it was the basketball opener for Kansas State. So it wasn't like I had a ton of basketball games under my belt coming right off of football season. In fact, I was still um, in football season. And so at the time when I went back and, and, and listened to it the next day, you know, I wasn't overly pleased with it. But then I went back just a, a couple of weeks ago and, and listened to it again, and I, I've listened to it several times now. And I think I was being a little too hard on myself, to be honest, um, 
there were some things that I did and, and said that I was very, very happy with. I thought my flow was pretty good. The biggest thing with it was obviously there's some nerves that can kind of take over at times, especially early on. And I spent the whole day up there to kind of <laughs> calm those nerves and get used to the whole feel um, for everything. And then the second thing is you don't have any rapport with your, with your color guy um, because you just haven't worked together. And any broadcaster can relate to the first time you do a game with somebody, you know, there's going to be some hiccups and there's going to be um, lack of flow at times just because you're not familiar with that person. And so I, I think that maybe that fact right there kind of um, I had built up in my head that maybe it wasn't very good just because I wasn't familiar with my surroundings and maybe I was a little bit uncomfortable uh, at first. But going back and listen to it, I was actually pretty happy with it. And the thing that, that I took away from it is even at, at that level, you know, the, the, in terms of the, the pregame and the structure and um, pace of play and, and everything that goes into a basketball broadcast, there really shockingly wasn't that much difference between what we do at the D2 or the NAIA level compared to the D1, Power 5, Big 12 level. And um, so that, that was really good because it, it, I guess, was a little bit reassuring that I'm getting really good practice at these other levels, if, if that makes sense. Was it, I noticed it took me on my experience probably, oh, five to ten minutes to really catch up with a jump in speed from covering high school and NAI basketball to D1 men's basketball in the Summit League. Maybe it's a little bit different with women's basketball because they don't move quite as quickly, but was there any issue with that for you? No, there really wasn't. I think that, that, Maybe just the fact that it was a bigger arena and there's just a, a lot more going on at the D1 level. The crowd is louder. Um, the, the, the horn is louder. Um, there's just a, there's a lot more monitors and, and, and things like that. So there's a lot more distractions, I guess. But, you know, calling games at the D2 level, NAIA level, and especially the, the junior college level. You know, junior college basketball is, an, is as up and down as it gets. And so I think that, that having all that experience probably helped. Um, but sorry, my dogs are going crazy, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I noticed early on in the broadcast, you know, there was a, a, a the ball had, had bounced out of bounds or something. There was a stoppage of play and I think they were having a clock issue and the official stopped play and there was a long delay in the broadcast and it's like right out of the shoot. So you talk about those first five minutes, that's definitely something that uh, is an unforeseen circumstance happening at that level. And so um, we're just kind of hanging out trying to kill time. And so that was a little bit overwhelming just because of the fact that it happened so quickly in the broadcast. I think if it had happened in the third quarter or the fourth quarter, maybe I would have been a little bit more prepared for it. And, you know, there was a, a, a bit of a pause during the broadcast and it felt like you know, we both kind of froze for like a minute, uh, like a full 60 seconds. But when I went back and listened to it, it was like five to six seconds that, that you know, we were both just kind of uh, waiting for them to sort the whole thing out. So it wasn't a big deal. But when you're in that moment and something like that happens, you can honestly kind of freak out for a split second. How did you get the opportunity to do that? What relationships did you build that were able to help you eventually get that opportunity? Um, just, just the relationships from the guys I know at, at K-State, 
Uh, Wyatt Thompson is someone that, that I've known for a really long time. I had reached out to Ben Boyle, who's the uh, manager of the K-State Sports Properties, the GM. And then I reached out to uh, Brian Smoller, who's the regular play-by-play voice for the women's basketball team. And it was Brian who uh, reached out to me and said, hey, we're going to need some help. And then there was another opportunity uh, later in the season. And I had been in communication with K-State the last couple of years. There, was, there just weren't that many opportunities for fill-in work. Um, it happens when the football team is traveling and um, there's that, that crossover part of the season. But there was another unique opportunity later in the season where Wyatt, who's the, the men's play-by-play announcer, uh, came down with the flu, that flu bug that was going around. And it was mid to late January. It was K-State getting ready for Texas Tech. It was going to be a huge game for K-State. Texas Tech was ranked in the top, top 10 at the time, and they were coming to Manhattan. And Wyatt came down with that flu bug, I think, on Wednesday and was in really rough shape on Thursday. And so they were going to have Brian fill in on the men, and they were going to send me to Austin, Texas, to cover the women uh, on the road at Texas. And they called, I think Brian called Thursday afternoon and said, we will know Friday at noon, and your flight would leave out of Manhattan Friday at 3 o'clock that day. So I had to prepare for the broadcast and pack and, and be 100% ready to go um, and, and wait for their call Friday. And then they, they called Friday about 1230 or so, and turns out Wyatt was feeling a little bit better and he was going to pull through for the broadcast on Saturday. But that was definitely a wild 24 hours uh, getting ready for the broadcast and uh, getting ready uh, mentally for that trip, which, which would have been a lot of, a lot of fun. One of the things in your broadcast, because we trade tape pretty frequently, is that I think you do about as good a job as anyone as using a lot of vivid descriptors and varying your vocabulary. What do you do to to become so good at that, or is it something that just comes naturally to you? No, there's a lot. Now, once once I get into the broadcast, it's definitely something that just comes naturally. But much like we create flip charts for football and spotting boards uh, for football and basketball, I've got all that. And then I've got basically a, a, a chart of terms and not necessarily phrases, but different ways to say different things. Like on, on your website, you've got your glossary. Well, I have that printed out on a a rather large piece of paper for basketball and then for football i've got one printed out on an 11 by 17 board that i keep with me and take to every broadcast but it's it's not something that i reference during broadcast it's something that i will look over every every once in a while at quarter breaks or at halftime if there's an extended pause if i've got an interview or something going and i've got a 10 minute window i'll kind of uh, check off maybe some some things that I've used or some things that I'd like to use in the second half. Um, but it, it's something I've put a lot of work into in, in building. And then I guess you could say I, I, I study it uh, from time to time as I prepare for a broadcast. So uh, that's kind of how that all came. I actually made my, my first one in college and it just kind of grew from there. And it's something that I update every year. And I update during the season. And now with with technology and being able to listen to any play-by-play broadcaster anywhere on any given night, especially during basketball, 
I'll pull up a random broadcast and just listen for things that I like, and I'll add them to a, a notepad on my phone and then eventually to paper. Who's the last broadcaster that you randomly pulled up and found something that you liked? Putting you on the spot. During, yeah, you are putting me on the spot. Let's see. At, towards the tail end of basketball season, I, I was covering the NAIA National Tournament in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and the teams that I was that I were covering played, uh, I think, on a, on a Wednesday night, and then they, they didn't play Thursday, and then they played again on Friday. So I had all day Thursday, and I pulled up a lot – of conference tournaments. In fact, I, I think it was uh, Tony Caridi at West Virginia. I think I listened to West Virginia and Texas Tech. And then, um, I, I mean, I bounced around quite a bit. I remember I listened to, the, I think Duke played Syracuse maybe in the ACC tournament. I think I had that one pulled up. I think I had Notre Dame pulled up. But Tony Caridi definitely sticks out. I really enjoy his stuff and his play-by-play. Uh, his -play. So West Virginia, Texas Tech was, was probably the last one. You know, we actually met up while you were at that NAIA tournament, and uh, I just uh, I continue to laugh because your name was wrong on your, on your uh, credential. Tell us about that. Oh yes, yes. When I got there, uh, it was it was Justin Wrestling, I think, was what they had on there. And I pulled up to to get into the arena, and I didn't have a color guy, so it was just me by myself. And I had applied and been approved and everything. Um, and they were, so I gave him my name and they, they couldn't find it. And she's searching through her, her list of names. And I go, wait a minute. I go, this one says KCAC radio network. She says, yeah. And I said, I said, I think that's, that's me. I think they just got my name wrong. So yeah, I was just in wrestling for the weekend. And I get that a lot. A lot of people, uh, instead of wrestling, they'll say wrestling or they'll say Wesleyan because we've got a lot of Wesleyan schools around here. And so I'm James Wesleyan a lot as well. Have you ever actually broadcast wrestling? Yes, I have actually. So I've always wondered how that is done well on the radio. Give us some tips for broadcasting wrestling from Justin Wrestling. <laughs> well, I've never wrestled a day in my life, so I know absolutely nothing about the sport. Um, so uh, the first thing I did is I printed off the rule book. And um, in any, any wrestling rule that I could find, which I'll just tell you, there's a lot. So I had a thick phone book type stack of papers with me that I had reviewed and studied. And still, when it got to the action, the best advice for doing play-by-play -play for wrestling is have a phenomenal color guy who will carry you throughout the broadcast. Because when it comes to wrestling, in terms of what's actually taking place on the mat, it can be very fast-paced and very difficult. And really, the thing the listeners want, kind of like time and score in basketball and football, is the results and this time, not necessarily time, but more score in wrestling. So I, I made always made sure that I had a former wrestling coach or a uh, former wrestler. And those guys, the, the, the wrestling community is such a loyal, passionate fan base that they know their stuff and they love the opportunity. So I just grabbed a really great color guy, did the best I could, and, and kind of muddied my way through it. What other sports have you done that you're not familiar with? That's probably the biggest one. The other one would be volleyball. Similar situation. Volleyball is actually a sport that that um, was pretty easy to, I guess, kind of figure out, which sounds funny because it's so fast-paced, and you don't realize how fast-paced it is until you're actually doing play-by-play. -play. But again, I had a really good color person, 
And if you know the, the, the names and the numbers like you do basketball, another fast-paced sport, it's actually pretty similar. Uh, there's a lot of movement of the ball. And, um, again, I studied the rule book, made sure that I, that I um, was familiar with the sport in, in that regard. And then there's a lot of creative play-by-play terms that you can come up with for volleyball. Um, so I actually really enjoyed it. And then um, in terms of the, the major sports, basketball and football are certainly um, my two favorites. But I, and, and I don't know that I struggle with baseball, but baseball is the one sport that I didn't play growing up. And so I don't necessarily have a, a player or coach mentality when it comes to baseball. And so that's probably of the three major sports, the one that I would say I have the most, most difficulty with. I always had a lot of fun with volleyball. It was, I always had to, I had to do solo broadcasts and I listened back to the very first one. And I think the thing I realized more than anything is that on a radio call, it's hard to realize what side of the net the ball is on. And it was almost like who has the ball in basketball. And I, uh, I made sure to correct that issue after the first one. That was the one that really jumped out at me. Yeah, that's a great point. And you know, the, the, the other thing, I'm sure you were probably able to get pretty creative with some of your terminology because almost like a dunk or a three in basketball, a volleyball spike is such an emphatic play that it can be really, really exciting. Okay, so one of the things that I wanted to talk about with you, because you know what, let you brag uh, brag up yourself a little bit. You've won first place in the state of Kansas in the Kansas Association of Broadcasters twice for play-by-play. And, you know, as someone who's sitting here with no awards on my mantle, I guess just take us through what that means to you, how you were, how the judging process went and uh, where you keep your awards right now? Sure. Uh, you know the, the the KABs is a is a big deal here in the state of Kansas. It's it's they have a, a KAB convention each year um, and an awards ceremony, and it's a really really great networking event. And they have undergraduate awards and and category, and then they have postgraduate and they have various market awards and so after college i had i'd won some um in college but i had i um had kind of set a goal i guess to win some postgrad and i i didn't start actually submitting entries until uh just a few years ago and once i got the 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 i got a second place finish i think in 2014 and, and that meant a lot because that was the first time that I had submitted anything. And um, uh, it was really exciting for my color guy uh, and for me because we hadn't been working together for real long. And so that was something that that was really neat. And then I won it again. Um, first place, I won for the first time uh, two years ago in 2016. And then I won it again in, in 2017. And the thing I'll say about the the KABs is there are so many phenomenal broadcasters in the state of Kansas. The thing about our state is for not necessarily underpopulated as it is, but it's it's not an overpopulated state by any means. But there's a lot of really great broadcasters for 
um, the population in, in the state of Kansas, if that makes sense. And so to, to, to finish first back-to-back years really meant a lot to me. And it was something that hadn't been done since the, the late 90s in the state of Kansas in our market. And so I took a lot of pride in that. And uh, you submit three two-minute segments of the same game. And I've also been on the other side where I've, I judge every year because the state of Kansas, we send ours. I think we had uh, Colorado judge just one year and then Wisconsin judge just another year. And so being a judge, I, I don't know that I maybe had upper hand because I kind of knew what how, how I judged people and, and graded people and the cr- criteria that I looked for. And so maybe that's been part of, of why I've had success. But it's, it's a really cool thing that the, the state of Kansas does. I almost wish they would do that with some of the uh, National Association of Broadcasting Awards where they would trade trade states and have people actual judge audio instead of just, you know, I mean, there's certainly that still means a lot, but sometimes those turn into a popularity contest. Yeah. The, the, the state that I judged was, was Illinois. If I remember right, the last one that I did. And the thing that I really liked about it is um, the market that I had, I, I didn't, I didn't recognize any of the teams. It was a lot of uh, D2 or NAIA. There was a, a couple of D1. I think Eastern Illinois, uh, their play-by-play announcer had made a submission. But um, so you, you don't really – there's not really a team that's going to catch your ear. And so it's really a really level, even playing field. And just just judging and, and being able to um, kind of listen for certain things. And, and it was a really – fun experience being able to do that. So what are some of your broadcasting horror stories? I ask these to this question to everybody on the podcast. It's one of my favorite things to hear just those, uh, those moments in your broadcasting career that drive you nuts at the time, but you can sit back and laugh about now. Oh man, that's a great question. Well, I, (laughs) I had one uh, during just this past football season where um, actually, I've, I had two this past sports season. Number one is I always try to be really early to every single broadcast. And I'm always really good and, and really um, specific about checking my gear and going through my bag and making sure that I have everything I need or might need. I always overpack and overprepare and, and probably get to games way too early. Um, but I had a football game this past year where I got all the way to my site and it was a little over a half hour away. Um, so it wasn't, wasn't very far, but I got there and I realized that I had forgot my spotting boards. I had, I had finished working on them uh, that morning and just left them sitting on my kitchen, kitchen table. And so I got down there, got all set up and then realized as I went to grab my boards to set them where I, cause I was real familiar with this location uh, where I like to put them in the box. I realized I didn't have them. So I, I flew back home, grabbed them, and got back down. And that was a, a perfect example of, as to why we should always get to games super early because I still made um, a kickoff. I remember I, I walked right into the booth as our pregame open was firing. And so I, I ended up um, flustered but able to get on the air and, and, and do the broadcast. And then the other one was, um, oh, gosh, what happened in, in basketball? Uh, I told you 
had to. That was football. How far away oh, were you at that point away that you had to drive to pick those up? Um, well, it was about a half hour away, but I had gotten all the way to the to the site and had started actually setting up my gear before I realized I had forgotten. I've actually had that happen, and you know, I went to... I, I usually have them on my computer, so I was able to email them myself, and one time... I've done it mm-hmm. twice. One time I had the SID print them in black and white on the stats printer, and the other, I was able to go to a public library and print them because I was too far away to even consider running back. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And then uh, in basketball this year, I just it was it was a home game for us, and for whatever reason, I, I had some family activities earlier in the day. It was an evening tip, and I had just I had I had gotten off on my times somehow this is the only time this has ever happened and for some reason i thought that the game started an hour later than it actually did and so i went to leave at my normal time and was in route and got a call from the athletic director asking if i was coming to broadcast and i I said yeah and he said well the game tips off here in like 20 minutes (laughs) and so that was uh uh kind of just a weird deal where i just completely i just lost track of time lost track of time and just got mixed up um the the other i guess kind of funny story that i like to share with people is um very early on this was this is probably five six years ago um for one of our board ops i was doing a basketball game and had a color guy with me and our board op could could talk to us and and send us audio without it going over the air and so he would talk to us during commercial breaks well we we'd come back on and, and we're broadcasting the game and he had forgot and i'm sure that everybody can relate to this he had forgot to turn his mic off back at the studio and um he uh clearly had an upset stomach and uh so there were some interesting uh noises coming from the the studio he was <laughs> he was belching and he was banging into walls and he was making all kinds of noise and it was so distracting and my color guy was just dying laughing that I finally just had to say on the air, uh, Jared, I think I think you left your mic on. We're going to need you to shut that off. And then just <laughs> went forward with the broadcast. So that's one that always sticks out in my mind. What did uh, your your board op say after that, after the game? Was he just mortified by that? No, no, he's just he's just a, he's such a, a great guy and he's just so uh, laid back. And, and, uh, so no, he wasn't, we had a good laugh about it and I told him to make sure it never happened again. And that was kind of that. So, um, he, he, he felt bad about it, but, uh, it was just something that, uh, I didn't get too worked up about. I knew it was going to be a great story down the road and we, uh, we had a good chuckle. (laughs) One time you wrote a guest blog for say the score.com when I was going to be gone. I don't even remember why, but I just asked you to do that. And you wrote about being authentic and being yourself on the air and not trying to <clears throat> to use and, you know, take things from other broadcasters, but to make them yours and not, not to be an imitation. Uh, what do you think, how important is that and how are you able to uh, balance borrowing other people's words and traits but still make them sound like your own? Well, uh, a lot of times, I guess, if a guy has a certain phrase that I hear a lot during his broadcast, I'll I'll avoid it because it's kind of his thing. 
And a lot of times I'll hear uh, a phrase or an adverb that I, that I like that I'll kind of tweak in a way to, to, to make it my own. And then I think the biggest thing, I mean, we're all doing the same thing. You know, we're all on the same sports. Uh, the ball is the same. The, the, the court dimensions are the same. Uh, the action's the same. And so sometimes it can, it can be difficult to not sound like somebody. But the biggest thing I would say is just in terms of your pacing, just be yourself. You know, I think that, that some broadcasters, uh, there's a lot of broadcasters at the national level that have a very unique style and a very unique pacing. And so when I say not to imitate, that, that's kind of what I mean in that regard. It, it took me a while to kind of find my own pacing, and it's changed and it's evolved over the years. But now it's to where, uh, where it's me, and it's not sounding like anybody else. And um, um, so that's, that's the biggest thing. You know, I, and, and I've got, a, I've got coworkers and, and fellow broadcasters that I'm good friends with that, you know, when I listen to them, I'm like, oh, they, they kind of sound like I do because they've used some of the same terminology that, that I use, but they still have their own number one voice and their own style and their own pacing. And they, they get excited at different um, increments of the game than, than more so or less so than maybe I would. And so I think there's a lot of different ways and, and different, different um, avenues that we can all take to, to be ourselves. What do you do on a regular basis to get better as a broadcaster? listen to myself. That's the number one thing. And sometimes it can be hard to find the time to um, critique yourself and listen to yourself when you're in the thick of football season or you're in the thick of basketball season or you're wearing so many different hats during your normal eight to five school or 10 to seven or whatever your hours might be. Um, but, you know, I always go back and, and I'm guilty as much as anybody else of listening to myself a lot more during the off season than the actual season. And I always, no matter how much I've listened during the actual season, I'm always kicking myself for not listening more. And, um, you know, I do a really good job during football season of, of um, putting my games on my, my phone and then listening um, when I'm driving around or on long road trips or on the way to a football game. But it's a lot harder during basketball season, I think, because we just get caught up in, in being so busy and doing so many games per week. But the, man, if you if you can find the time to li you'll 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 learn so much more about your play by play and your audio and and just your delivery. Just listening to yourself for you know 10, 15 minutes can really can really make a big difference. How do you find feedback? I guess I, should, I want to rephrase that. How do you find qualified feedback from people you trust? Well, I make a major emphasis every off season to. Uh, reach out to, I usually shoot for three or four different, very well-respected um, national or, or division one broadcasters that I really admire and really like and, and hold in high regard. And then it's just doing your research in terms of finding the best way to reach out to them and contact them. And I've, I don't think I've ever had somebody tell me no. And, and I've never told anybody no, when, when there's people in, in our area that want want feedback or, or critiques, you know, everybody's willing to do it. Now don't ask them to critique an hour of your stuff, but even just to, to have them hear three, four five minutes of your audio is enough for them to, to get a little bit of a feel for, for your style and your delivery and give you good authentic feedback. And so uh, that's a goal of mine, something that I do every off season. I usually start um, 
um, late spring, early summer, and, and make sure that I get three or four knocked out uh, by the start of football season. And, and some guys will will talk to you on the phone for an hour. Some guys you won't have any verbal communication with outside of email. You know, I've had guys where I've, I've asked for an audio and said, hey, can we, or, or a critique and asked if we can talk on the phone or if I can follow up and they'll just listen to my stuff right there and then send me a detailed email, which, you know, that's fine too. It just, everybody has a different way of, 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 uh, of doing play-by-play critiques and, and, and getting back to you. Um, so that would be the, the number one thing that I would suggest for, for people to do. Who are your favorite broadcasters to listen, listen to on a national basis and regionally in the state of Kansas? And I should probably not limit that to Kansas. We'll include Missouri, Nebraska, Oklahoma, kind of just the region that you're in. Well, I'm partial to Wyatt Thompson and Stan Weber at Kansas State. I think that um, Wyatt is really, really great at what he does. Um, he's been, he, he, he's been over backwards to, to help me. And then I think that Stan is the best color guy in the country. I think he's phenomenal. He is so detailed and he, he has so many great notes and nuggets and he's always prepared. It's just really, really impressive. Brian Haney, I think is, is sensational at KU, especially at basketball. He is so, um, he, he's a guy in terms of descriptors and, and vocab that people can really learn a lot from. He's, he's really, really great at that. He's got, he's got really good pacing as well. Um, nationally, I, I, I like all of the Westwood one guys. I've never listened to a Westwood one broadcast and Kevin Kugler does a lot of basketball and, and, uh, among others, I've, I've never listened to a Westwood one basketball or football broadcast and thought, wow, this guy's, you know, this guy's average or, or just a little bit above average. They are always sensational. I mentioned Tony Caridi earlier. Um, he's one of my favorites in the Big 12. Um, Dave Hunziker down at Oklahoma State is a guy that I really like. I've listened to him quite a bit. Um, I'm trying to think. There's just there's a lot out there that I that I like. Craig Way down at Texas is someone that I've that I've listened to a lot and really, really, really like and really admire. Um, there's a couple of big 10 announcers that I really like. Um, I, I seem to gravitate towards Ohio state football, uh, Minnesota football. I think those guys are really, really great at, at what they do in terms of football. So it just, it depends on the sport as well. There's some guys that I really, really like for, for basketball and maybe baseball and not so much for football and, and vice versa. So it just kind of, kind of depends. But I, I, I mentioned earlier that I listened to so many different, broadcast throughout the course of the year that a lot of times I don't I, I all the names kind of blur together sometimes I can tell you what teams I might really like but their their names is might evade me what are some broadcasting pet peeves that you don't like when you hear them oh uh, that's a good question I well anytime I don't hear time and score drives me drives me crazy uh, it's probably the number one thing um Sometimes I, I can appreciate a good wordsmith, but I, it, it bothers me a little bit when people get too wordy, if that makes sense. And that's something I've really got to kind of pull the reins back on, on myself sometimes. Um, I don't like when, when broadcasters will say one thing and then, and, and this is probably more noticeable in basketball when, when guys are doing it by themselves, they'll, they'll say one thing and then basically say the exact same thing just in a different form they'll repeat themselves um and then maybe even being a little bit more harsh i, I really listen for 
um, descriptors and, and way to say different things. And it's using the same descriptor for a pass or a shot or a miss or a make on every single bucket or every single movement. Same thing for football on a, a, a catch or pass or a, um, a running back, and his, his movement. Uh, that's something that I definitely uh, keep an ear out for as well. How would somebody get in touch with you if they wanted to do so? Uh, you can email me, jameswestling at gmail.com. I'm getting better at Twitter. <laughs> uh, also, James Westling, W-E-S-T-L-I-N-G. But the uh, best way is probably email or Twitter, and uh, I'll get back to you right away. Anything else you want to talk about that I didn't bring up? No, not that I can think of. Uh, I always really enjoy your podcast. You've had some, you've had so, such, we were joking a little bit before we got started about all these, these big names that you bring on or on a, on a regular basis. I felt like I had a lot to live up to because I really like to, to, to listen to the, the other podcasts that you've done and you've shared. And, and so I appreciate everything that you do um, with your website. And, and um, I think you and I got, got hooked up by, I was just, surfing the internet and, and stumbled across your, your website and kind of fell in love with it, especially your, your glossary, because as we've noted, I'm a big uh, descriptor guy. And so you had a lot on there that, that I didn't have. And that I found really, really useful. And uh, um, so no, I'm, I'm honored that you would have me on. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to do it. Once again, we are chatting with James Westling, the voice of the Bethany Swedes, and operations manager at Rocking M Radio in Salina, Kansas. And James, thanks for joining us again. All right, man. Thanks. This has been the Say the Damn Score podcast. Thanks for taking the time to tune in. Please subscribe to the show and any or all of its social media platforms by simply clicking the big red button on top of saythedamnscore.com iTunes reviews, or any other honest feedback are appreciated as well as they help to improve the show. I'm Logan Anderson, and the next time you're on the air, say the damn score a little bit more.